0: Hello, and thank you for calling org. This is Toby. You're on the air. Yes, I have a question. Uh, uh, yes, I, I understand that you do studies on bile, and I have a question about something that I found in my... Th- uh, excuse me, sir. Just a minute. Just a minute. Uh, did you say bile study? Why, Why? yes, I did. Uh, I'm sorry, sir. I'm terribly sorry, sir. But we don't study Bible. This is Bible study podcast. There are two B's in there. Bible. Well, well, I, well, I, I guess I'll just have to find somebody who knows what they're talking about. Then. Well, I. Uh... Man, I think that was a slam or something. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, February the fourth of two thousand and nine, and as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon, and welcome to our first Q and A podcast since uh, since October, I think October was the last one we had. And uh, anyway, you know, I'm glad to have you guys here with us, and I'm sorry that it's been so long since we've done one of these between moving and school, and and honestly, just not getting that many questions lately. I guess we just haven't gotten around to getting one of these done. But anyway, welcome you guys. I'm so glad to have you guys here. And of course, welcome to Christina, who will be here with us reading the questions. Uh, I know that we were supposed to do this lesson on Saturday last week, but as I, uh, as I explained at the end of Monday's lesson, uh, last week we had this huge ice storm here in Northwest Arkansas, which was absolutely insane. I've never seen anything like it. My neighbor who's lived here like his whole life said he's never seen anything like it. Uh, you know, we, we had debris, we had fallen tree branches and limbs, you know, all over our yard. Um, somewhere between five and seven tons worth. So on Thursday and Friday last week, when the ice had melted enough to the point where we could actually clean it up, uh, that's what I did. I spent the days cleaning it up uh, with our landlord's son-in-law. And man, let me just tell you, I have never done anything uh, physical labor or, you know, anything so hard, so difficult, so physically straining in my whole life. So anyway, when it came to Saturday and Sunday, Uh, I could barely even move. I've never been so sore in my life. So anyway, I apologize that this didn't get done last Saturday. We will resume our Knowing God series next Wednesday. But today, we are doing questions and answers. So anyway, welcome, Christina. What do we have for our first question?
1: Okay, our first question comes from Alex. And Alex writes, I've been discussing Christianity with a lot of Muslims recently. One of them brought up the fact that if Jesus was God, then why was he ignorant of some things? I would also like to know that, because that confuses me.
0: Well, thank you so much for the question, Alex. As always, that's a, that's a really good question. And that's, um, you know, the reason that I'm going to answer that question here in this lesson rather than through email is because I think that this is probably something that a lot of us, a lot of Christians struggle with. Uh, in fact, this type of problem, when left unanswered, has been a huge stumbling block for some people in, uh, in coming to faith. I mean, after all, it seems logical that if God knows all things, and Jesus didn't know all things, then Jesus couldn't have been God, right? I mean, that seems like the logical conclusion. Yet we know that Jesus claimed to be God, and he did things like raise the dead, or walk on water, etc., etc., to prove that he is God. So how do we reconcile the fact that Jesus didn't know Everything. Well, one way is to conclude that Jesus wasn't really God. However, we can definitely reject that conclusion since, like I just said, Jesus did claim to be God and he also proved to be God by performing miracles. Uh, the next possible solution would be to conclude that God doesn't really know all things. However, as we read the Bible, it becomes more and more clear that the God of the Bible does indeed claim to know all things. In fact, in Isaiah, God challenges uh, these false gods to tell the future. Well, why did he issue that type of challenge? It's because God's knowledge of all things, past, present, and future, is one of the more obvious and demonstrable traits that sets him apart from the false gods. And so we can't conclude uh, that God doesn't know everything. God does know everything. And another another possible solution that we could uh, possibly come to, we could also possibly conclude that Jesus was lying or that he was pretending when he appeared not to know some uh, something. So he was deceiving people when he appeared to not know something. However, uh, because Jesus claimed and proved to be God and because scripture tells us that it's impossible for God to lie, we can reject this conclusion as well. If it's impossible for God to lie, then it's impossible for Jesus to lie. So how do we reconcile the fact that God knows all things, but that there were apparently uh, certain things that Jesus did not know? Well, it starts with acknowledging the fact that Jesus was fully God and fully man. As a man, he was limited in his knowledge. Luke chapter 2, verse 52 tells us that, quote, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom. In stature and in favor with God and men, and further, according to Matthew chapter 21 verse 19, Jesus apparently didn't know what was on the fig tree before he reached it. Uh, speaking in regards to the time frame for his return, Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 24 verse 36 that no one knows about that day or hour uh, when he would be back, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, before we go any further, let's go ahead and just make a quick note of the fact that limitation of knowledge is not the same as downright error or even misunderstanding. Uh, there was nothing that Jesus was in error about in his teachings or otherwise, and nothing which he misunderstood. And that's not what we find in any of these passages. We don't see Jesus uh, committing an error in any of these passages. The fact that there were some things which Jesus, as a man, didn't know doesn't mean that he was mistaken in what he did know. The fact is that Jesus temporarily forfeited or surrendered certain uh, qualities in becoming a man. For example, as we've discussed in our Knowing God series, God is pure spirit. However, Jesus was a man. He was flesh and bones. Uh, God is omnipresent, but Jesus uh, as a man was only present in one place at a time. Uh, God is impassable and thus, and thus cannot suffer, but Jesus suffered on the cross on our behalf uh, god knows all things but jesus grew in his wisdom now one of the key verses to this in the whole bible is found in philippians chapter 2 verses 7 and 8 which tells us that jesus quote emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men being found in appearance as a man He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, when Paul tells us that Jesus emptied himself, it means that he limited himself in some regards as a man. He forfeited or surrendered certain qualities temporarily. However, uh, Jesus, again, was never in error in what he taught. What he did know, he knew inerrantly. And I think it's also worth noting that Jesus only taught what the Father wanted him to teach. In John chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus said, I do nothing on my own, but speak only what the Father has taught me. And so therefore, if there's something that Jesus didn't know or didn't teach, it's because God the Father didn't want him to teach it. And so thus, we can confidently conclude that Jesus was not ignorant of anything. To the contrary, Jesus willfully limited himself for a time in order to die on the cross for our sins. So anyway, I hope that answers your question. Thank you for that question, Alex. I think that's an, uh, an excellent question, and I hope that's uh, the kind of answer that you, were, that you were looking for. I hope it uh, resolves that dilemma for you. So anyway, uh, and it's something I hope we can all benefit from. Uh, Christina, what do we have for our next question?
1: Okay, our next question comes from Ivan. Ivan writes, Toby, you have not done a and a podcast in a while, so I'm hoping you do one just for this question. Did Jesus go to hell after his crucifixion? Some say that he just went to Hades and not hell. What about him going into Abraham's bosom to take people to heaven? This is all very confusing, and I know you can bring some clarity.
0: Well, God bless you, Ivan, and thank you so much for the question. That's a legitimate question and something that really does confuse a lot of people because there are a lot of uh, different teachings about this issue. Uh, I think I can answer this question in just a few minutes worth of time, so I'm going to try to give a um, as comprehensive an answer as I possibly can here rather than devote an entire lesson to the issue, although I have no doubt that there's enough to talk about regarding this issue um, that we could very easily uh, turn this into an entire lesson in the future, perhaps. But first of all. Uh, Let me just say this. There are several sources which do uh, assert that Jesus went to hell following his death on the cross. And the most famous of these sources is the Apostles' Creed, which I think it's important to note, didn't even reach its final form until the 8th century, 700 years or so after the apostles had died. Uh, There's no historical justification whatsoever for attributing anything that's said in the Apostles' Creed to the actual apostles uh, that we find in the Bible. So the Apostles' Creed isn't really a record, it's not a credible record of beliefs by the apostles. Uh, the Apostles' Creed says this It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of the heavens and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, Dead and buried, he descended into hell. Let's go ahead and just stop there, uh, since that's really all the information that we need. Uh, Despite the fact that none of the many, many creeds which preceded the Apostles' Creed said anything about Jesus going to hell, uh, somehow this belief uh, surfaced very late, like I said, 700 or so years after all of the Apostles uh, had died. Now, you'll also find people like Joyce Meyer uh, and other prosperity gospel teachers teaching that Jesus went to hell. Uh, In her booklet titled, The Most Important Decision You Will Ever Make, uh, on page 35, Joyce Meyer writes, During that time, he entered hell, where you and I deserve to go legally because of our sin. He paid the price there. No plan was too extreme. Jesus paid on the cross and in hell. And then on page thirty six she writes God rose up from his throne and said to demon powers tormenting the sinless Son of God, Let him go. Then the resurrection power of Almighty God went through hell and filled Jesus. He was resurrected from the dead. End quote. And then she continues on the same page, writing, quote, His spirit went to hell because that's where we deserved to go. Remember in the very beginning of this, I said, When you die, only your body dies. The rest of you, your soul and spirit, goes either to heaven or hell. There is no hope of anyone going to heaven unless they believe this truth I am presenting. You cannot go to heaven unless Unless you believe with all of your heart that Jesus took your place in hell. End quote. And let me just tell you guys, uh, I'll just be as, as blunt as I possibly can here. This is trash. This is just pure, unadulterated garbage. Uh, this is heresy, friends. This kind of thing just really irks me. It really makes me mad because she has defiled the gospel message. Paul told us that anyone who does that, anybody who presents a different gospel is accursed. Uh, That's Galatians chapter one, verse eight. And this word that gets translated as accursed is the Greek word anathema, which is defined by Strong's lexicon as quote, a thing devoted to God without hope of being redeemed. Now, if I was Joyce Myers honestly i'd be shaking in my boots because the fact is that not only is the idea that jesus went to hell not necessary for salvation but it's not taught in scripture whatsoever and it has nothing to do with the true gospel to the contrary when jesus went to the cross he cried out it is finished the debt was paid there er, there was no more need for further payment by sending jesus to hell and also let's not miss the fact that before giving up his spirit jesus said father into your hands I commit my spirit whose hands the hands of the father not to the punishment of demons. Uh, now, before we let this issue die, you brought up the fact that maybe Jesus went into Hades and rescued some souls. So let's discuss one of the means by which people justify this belief that uh, that Jesus went to Hades or to hell. We find in First Peter chapter three, verses eighteen and nineteen. Peter writes, "For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive." In the spirit, in which also he went and preached to the spirits now in prison. Now, some people interpret this passage to to be affirming the fact that Jesus descended into hell in order to give the spirits in hell or or Hades a chance to believe in him and that he rescued the spirits which did believe in him. But that's nonsense. Uh, Let's start by asking this Who are these spirits? Who are, who are these spirits that uh, that this passage is saying that Jesus went and ministered to or preached to? We find the answer to this in the next verse, verse 20 of chapter 3 in 1 Peter, that they were those who were disobedient when God was waiting for Noah to finish building the ark. Uh, further, looking at the book of Peter as a whole, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, Peter tells us that Jesus ministered through the prophets to people. In 2nd Peter chapter 2 verse 5, we see Peter refer to Noah as a preacher or a minister or a proclaimer of righteousness. And so thus our passage here in 1st Peter chapter 3 verses 18 and 19 in its proper context, it's teaching us that Jesus proclaimed the righteousness of God through Noah to the evil men of Noah's age while Noah was building the ark. No, after Jesus died, he did not go into Hades. He did not go into hell to rescue or uh, or to preach. This is something that Peter is telling us Jesus did through Noah back in Noah's day. Now, keep, in, uh, keep the, the context in mind. This entire section of 1 Peter, uh, which really runs from uh, you know, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to about verse 22, and it's teaching us to keep a good conscience in the midst of unjust persecution. Uh, and here we find that Noah is presented as an example of somebody who endured such persecution and yet remained faithful despite being uh, ridiculed and mocked. Noah obeyed God, and he continued to proclaim his message. But no, this passage is not telling us that Jesus went to hell after he died. Nothing could be further from the truth. So anyway, I hope that clarifies that issue for you, Ivan. If you have any other questions, of course, you can email me, cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com, or of course you're on my Facebook network, so you can email me on there as well. But uh, anyway, I hope that settles the issue, and um, you know settles once and for all the fact that Jesus did not go to hell after he died. Anyway, uh, Christina, what do we have for our next question?
1: Okay, our next question comes from Michael. Michael writes, I have a question I have been meaning to ask. I'm worried someone will ask it of me and I won't have a response. It's about God changing and the incarnation of Christ. Since God cannot change, how did the Son go from being pre-incarnate to incarnate? Doesn't that indicate a change?
0: Well, that's another uh, excellent question, Michael. And for the record, it's not a new question. Uh, in fact, this very same objection, this very same question was actually asked by a philosopher in the second century uh, named celsus, and it went unanswered to our knowledge until Origen responded to it about 50 years later. Uh, let's look at what Origen wrote. He said that, quote, "...the word remains the word in his essential being and does not suffer what the body or the soul suffers." that he comes down at a certain time to be with him who cannot behold the splendor and brightness of his Godhead, and as it were, becomes flesh." Now, Origen was the origin of some extremely heretical teachings, but I believe that he really did hit the nail on uh, on the head squarely here. Uh, when we say that God doesn't change, we're referring to his unchanging essence, nature, and substance. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, we read that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, in uh, in, a, in a literal sense, of course, that's that's not true. Uh, like we mentioned in our um, in our first question today, Luke chapter two verse fifty-two tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. However, he didn't change in his nature or in his essence. Um, so th- this verse in Hebrews is actually implicitly referring to Jesus's unchanging nature essence and substance. Uh, Jesus added a human nature to his own nature, but that didn't change Jesus in his nature, essence, or substance. And thus, um, we can affirm, uh, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, that's the, that's the short answer. Um, but I, I hope that answers the question for you. When we say that Jesus uh, doesn't change or that God doesn't change, uh, obviously, you know, Jesus in the flesh as a man went through changes, but Jesus Himself as God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So thanks for the question, Michael. Um, I think that was definitely a good clarification to make that should perhaps uh, have been included in our knowing God lesson on uh, on God's immutability, but. Um, that's the answer, uh, and I hope that helps. So anyway, I think we have time for one more question. Christina, what is our next question?
1: Okay, our final question comes from Toby's biggest fan. Yes, even me his wife sends him emails with questions sometimes. So here it goes. Christina asks, if God is logical and cannot do anything that is not logical, how then did he create something out of nothing when that seems logically impossible? Oh, and I love you, and I want to be your wife forever, and I think you're hot. (laughs)
0: You are, you're crazy. You're something else. Well, I'll tell you this. You are so hot, you make the sun jealous. How about that? Uh, You know that's that's really a great question though, honestly, uh, and in all seriousness, that is a, a great question. Uh, this is of course dealing with God's omnipotence, and of course in our knowing God lesson on God's omnipotence, we talked about the fact that God can do everything that is logically possible, and uh, of course logic flows from Him, so God can only do what is logically possible. He can do everything that's logically possible because He's limited by His own nature, um, and that means you know that He can't lie. Uh, you know it's there's nothing illogical about lying, uh, but God, in his nature, is truth, so he can't lie so it does seem logically impossible to affirm that God created something out of nothing, uh, but it's not a logical impossibility it's a natural impossibility uh, for something to be a logical impossibility. it has to violate the law of non contradiction, uh, in other words, it must be a and non a in the same sense and at the same time. So it would be logically impossible for God to have created material while simultaneously keeping all things immaterial, but the fact that God can perform supernatural acts is what makes him lord over, and not just within, uh, creation. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, a famous example of somebody who, who took the Bible, and actually what he did, he cut out every uh, miracle, every miraculous act from the pages of the Bible, and uh, what was left, that's what he called the uh, the Bible. But the fact is that the universe had a beginning, and its origin was God's creative ability, his power, which is above and beyond, and thus capable of defying the laws of nature. Uh, and Jesus demonstrated this, uh, this same power over the laws of nature in a similar way. Uh, in the feeding of the 5,000, for example, he created food ex nihilo, in the same way that God created the whole universe, ex nihilo. Uh, You know, it would have been, um, it only would have been a logical contradiction if the Bible taught in one place that Jesus did provide sufficient food to feed the 5,000, and then in another place taught that Jesus didn't have enough food to feed the 5,000. So in a nutshell, uh, you know, the answer is that creation ex nihilo is naturally impossible, but it's not logically impossible. So therefore, only an omnipotent God whose power is above and beyond the laws of nature could create the natural universe. But Christina, I have to tell you, that was a very good question. And actually, as you know, upon uh, finishing that lesson, uh, I did anticipate that this question would be asked by somebody. And I'm, I'm glad that you were the one who asked. So uh, anyway... Hope that answers the question for you. If, if any of you guys need clarification on any of these answers, or uh, if you have further questions, you can email me at cleanslate.ministries at com. And by the way, just to remind you guys, one of the things that I want to add at some point, uh, hopefully pretty soon here, is a live Q&A where you guys can, uh, can call in through uh, Skype. And we, we can do a, a conversation where you ask your question and, and ask follow-up questions. But uh, Christina, that might be kind of difficult for you and me since, uh, since we're like in the same room. But anyway, uh, God bless you guys, and thank you so much for listening today. I hope that this was a blessing for you guys. I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.